fear the talking queers. Hey, bitch. <laughs> hey, bitch. Oh, oh my, my God. God. We are. We're back. Ew. We were like having anxiety pressing uh, record. I know everyone's really missed us. You can feel the void. <laughs> Here we are to satiate your appetite. Yes. And we've had some um, awesome little things that we did in between season two and season three. We have new games of Would You Rather and Fuck, Mary Kill on FearTheTalkingQueers.com. Yes, of course. Yeah, you have to go look at our our brand new look that we have. I mean, just the website alone, Frankie's done an, a beautiful job, you know. Stop! I can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sit! <laughs> I, I, you know what? <laughs> I do have to say that fearthetalkingqueers.com is by far superior to some of uh, the other podcast websites that I've come across. <laughs> oh my god. Oh I'm my just God. kidding, we're guys. Gonna, we're gonna start a turf war. <laughs> so, what have you done over the over this break? Summer vacation. Oh my gosh! Well, I took that I took that vacation to Mexico. You know, if you uh, are a listener from before, you know that we had some vacation plans. So, I took that trip down to Mexico, and we got uh, spicy, and it was just um, no, it was really fun. It was a great little family trip, uh, very quick. And then I came right back to start a new job, which I've been, you know, thriving at. So um, that is sort of why <laughs> that's sort of why we're going to like, OK, our schedules are getting really tight now because really uh, tight. A bitch got a, a bitch got a full time job now. Right. Oh, my God. I know. I went to Oregon and we spent like uh, a week out there. Family, family trip. It was right by the river. It was real cute. But bitch, I saw a rattlesnake skin on the ground. I was like, not what? me. Not I. Yeah, not today. <laughs> not no, today. Thank you. Snake. Yeah. No. Oh my god. Snake. I know. <laughs> and then and it was the... just Jamie Lynn Spears just like uh-huh, right. It was the Spears family just weaseling their way up. <laughs> ready to get stomped. We thought that we would uh do a little uh mini review sesh. Oh, yeah. because a lot of things have come out in the in these past couple weeks and we have uh, we have some things we want to talk about spoiler free of course because again you did not tune in to uh hear these ones specifically but um i think that this will be kind of fun to see like what's been going on what we think about the newest releases so what do you have yes okay well let's go in alphabetical order so let's start with false positive which was released on hulu back in june (laughs) (laughs) yes so um a funny fact about all these movies um i've pretty much seen half of every (laughs) single one of them (laughs) so so this is gonna be more frankie's review roundup and i'm just gonna be like oh yeah that's great to know yeah later when i finish so false positive was um, a story about a woman who gets pregnant and she sort of experiences some paranoia thinking that her doctor is out to get her. And um, if you've seen it, you know what it's about. If you haven't, I, I mean, that's as far as I can, I, without being spoiler free, that's as much as I can say. But it starred um, right, Alana exactly. Glazer, um, Pierce Brosnan, and Justin Theroux. Theroux. Yes. <laughs> Theroux me on the bed, daddy. Oh my god, with that big old snake dick. 
Oh, I know, I know. That was uh, one of my favorite headlines of all time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! And there's this. Have you? Did you see the scene where like he's like making out with? Uh, you know what? Okay, in, spoiler. In, oh, in the movie? Yes. Oh no no no. Okay, spoiler alert. There's a scene where Justin Thoreau makes out with Pierce Brosnan. It's a fantasy, hot. but it's hot. <laughs> Ooh, yes, we love that. Because Pierce uh, Brosnan <laughs> is so handsome, even in his like soups. older age. Yeah, totally. But you know, totally. that's my—he's the perfect age for me now. <laughs> oh my god, he's geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, let me get that AARP discount. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that that uh, senior discount, that <laughs> early bird discount. Uh, movies are expensive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, so now, what, what would, what would be your rating of false positive? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Overall, um, sort of. Overall, theory. I think it was an interesting project. I feel like it was more of a project than a film, almost. Like it was did, mm. did some experiments with film and transitions and uh, lighting and yeah, all these techniques. That, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I know some of that when I watched it. And you know what? I was really kind of happy to see Alana Glazer play a role like this. Like, what a yeah. what a little switch up from you know her Broad City days. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was happy Which to see her. Which is one of my favorite shows ever. Like that show is out so of control. Good. Just oh, oh so my god! Good. I've watched each episode at least four times. Same. It's just it's so just good. brilliant. So good. So yeah, it was nice to see her in a different light. A little refreshing. I think she did well. She can basically yeah. carry the film. Um, I think the artistic choices paid off, but the story was just kind of like, where is it going to go? But um, I would say my final review would be, or my final rating would be 3.5 stars. Ooh, okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, we're, I'm going to have to uh, give mine next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll catch uh, we'll back up a, with you. We'll, yeah, we'll do just a quick like. What did you think? Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, um, what do we? What's next on the list? Fear Street, nineteen ninety four. Okay, yeah. She also have three quarters of this one. <laughs> I was like okay. three quarters of this one. It's <laughs> so long. Like, These movies I have are like long. A, they're so long. I was like, wow. I don't know why I expected it to be like an hour. Because maybe because there's like three of them coming out. But no, these are full movies. <laughs> And they're directed by the same director. Yeah, wow. This was a this is a long yeah, shoot, I'm quite sure. Quite the project. Quite the project. Um, I really liked it. I, I was really impressed. I loved the soundtrack. I love how mm-hmm. um, edgy it was. I didn't expect it to be quite this. It was almost like when we all found out that Freaky was going to be rated R. And it was like, yes! It was kind of sure. like that watching it. Like It was like, wow, yeah, I thought this it, was going to be did... really cheesy. Yeah, it does, it does remind me of that like style. The, the like that blend of a uh, young adult and and R-rated slasher which i yes. which i appreciate i think there were times that for me it was getting a little too YA and i was like you okay. know like yeah. i don't know it sort of started losing my interest a bit but i understand that's where it comes from obviously this is not like it was the original product isn't it right. is YA it's pretty much a young adult novel with right. yeah, the horror one. So um, and, and the director really said for that, but it's just like meh for me. The director said that when she was making these films, that was kind of part of her goal was to like when you were younger reading the Fear Street books, especially when you were you know younger, younger, and you were reading yeah. them, you felt a little edgy, you know, to be reading something with oh totally. This is ho- with, this is yeah definitely yeah. 
spookier than goosebumps right exactly so you felt edgy and so she says being on netflix you know anybody can watch it and so if some 11 year old 12 year old kid stumbles across the r-rated fear street um they will find some you know familiarity in it but it takes it just to that extreme kind of like what scream did for me (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah yeah and you know what there's there's so many cool references in it like that uh, whole opening sequence is pretty much a big homage to Scream, like, no down doubt. Down to the technique. Just, down to the technique, down to just the shots that look exactly like the Casey Becker murder. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, an obvious homage, I, but in a good way. Like, it's obviously paying tribute to the greats, and I appreciated that. And um, yeah. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> I guess I read one of the Fear Street books in middle school, and I'm pretty sure that, like that skeleton yeah. outfit is the same outfit that was on the cover of the book that I had read. And yeah. Like, Halloween oh, okay, night so part two or Halloween something. Halloween night part two. Yeah. Why, why I didn't read the first one. I don't know. But I was like, do you know, I was in the light. I think I was in the library at my high, at my middle school. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to read that part yeah. two. I don't care. I'll catch up. Like this is speaking my language. And I, I probably, know. and I probably did a book report on it. I did book reports on like spooky books and shit. And like people were thought I was, people probably thought I was crazy. Yeah, well, at least you my are. teachers. The kids don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Fear, Fear Street is... Um, I thought it did a really good job blending Supernatural and Slasher because essentially it's about this uh, the, ch- the town of Shadyside, uh, this witch that was hanged in the town several centuries ago, um, takes over different Shadyside citizens and drives them to madness and to kill. Um, so I thought yeah. that was a nice blend it's kind of, it's kind of Supernatural like an, and Slasher. Kind of an amalgamation of a lot of things. I was like, oh, totally. I was like, yeah, this is like... Totally. I was like, is this a witch movie? Oh, is this a slasher movie? Oh, is this a, what? It was like, there's a lot going on, which is like, okay. I was like, that's an, that's an original take. Definitely on a slasher, like to have to incorporate supernatural into it. But it borderlines convoluted a little bit, a little bit, but I I thought it did a nice job. It's like a, it's a teen book. I know. Like I'm like sort of justifying my own, (laughs) like, well, problems with it but uh, you know you're right it is a teen book like it is it's supposed to be what it, that is i would give uh fear street 1994 um i would say a solid three stars okay all right cool 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 again once i finish that last little bit of it i watched the majority of it i'm yeah. just gonna give it like a okay like a two and a half for me two and a half stars and then um, just... I don't, know, I don't know how it oh. concludes. Maybe that changes everything. Oh, oh I know. Well, I, I feel like you have to watch the next one because I just watched this morning Fear Street 1978, um, which I'll make this quick because I know you haven't even started this one. Um, but Fear Street 1978 is a continuation, but also this film series just goes backwards in 1994, 1978, 1666. Um, the day this comes out, this episode comes out, I think 1666 will be the newest one. Oh, no, no, no. It'll be out the week before. Anyway, who cares? Um... Fear Street 1978 was by far superior to 1994. Um, I would even go as far as saying that it's one of the better summer camp slashers out there. Better than 1984? Did you finish 1984? American Horror Story 1984? Um, Yeah. I never finished it, but it's definitely better than that. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's really wow. good. It, I was shocked, and um, that technique that uh, the director used in the beginning of Fear Street 1994, that slow motion sort of Casey Becker shot, they use that again in this movie, but it is done to the extreme. Like it was a scene that I had to watch like four times because I was like, what is happening? Like I was, I was pleasantly surprised with 1984, but I was blown out of the water with 1978. It, it's really good. Wow. Okay. All right. For for and uh, for clarity's sake, for, for being what it is, like a Netflix movie of supernatural slasher based on young adult books, this was the ideal. It was so good. This was the cat's meow. I would give it four stars because obviously it wasn't perfect and there's still that convoluted storyline but um but it but the techniques and the the gore and the kills and the the performances for four stars four solid stars nice okay all right and uh so that leads us to our last two movies so the first one will be what how does alphabet go the um, A, B, C, D. Well, they all start with F, <laughs> so Forever Purge was the next one. Yes. Okay, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. You've seen this one the whole, all the way through. What did all you think? All the way through. Um, I thought it was... It's just another Purge movie. I mean, these mov- this is now The Purge <laughs> 5. And yeah. at this point, we understand that they're like... Like action films slash kind of horror. Like... The first movie definitely was way more horror. And then Mm -hmm. since then, they've just become action films. Action films with like slasher sequences. Sure, like survival horror kind of slasher sequences. Like jump scares for no apparent reason. Just to like, remember this is a scary movie, but this movie's not a scary movie. Um, Basically, I I don't know. I, I don't mind it. I like that there's like strong social commentary. But, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't think the quality of this... I think that... How do I explain this? I the think cool. that the movies are shallow enough that the explanations by the, like behind what's happening in the movie are also shallow. But it's almost like, okay. well, it's like if you, you're appealing to, to like a shout... Or you're... The people watching this aren't not going to be shallow, but this is like a easy turn-your-brain-off movie. How do we get our point across as easily as possible so it's heavy handed there's not much subtlety in here but I mean I think they're good for what they are like the Purge movies have a like serve their purpose and they do it well and obviously there's a reason they are as successful as they are so I I liked it it was fine I'll give like a 3 out of 5 I think that starting with um, election year the quality of the um the film doesn't really ever match the commentary, but I do yeah. feel that the first purge and the forever purge take its commentary a little more seriously than the second and third ones did. Um, mm. For some reason, people place two and three so highly above the ones that are coming out now, and I do not understand why because I feel like those are the cheapest of the cheap. I know two was really good, but I think three was like almost like a parody of the purge. So I was like, what? Uh, the first purge, I don't even think it matters at this point. Like it's so low on the totem pole as far as like like the original one? and yeah, it's like oh, not. Yeah. It's not what I it, mean. Because, yeah, be, right. Because weird. that one is just the depiction of a rich white family in a home invasion situation. There was no right. real commentary. You know, right. like the, Whereas if, the, the later ones very subtle. go 
the later ones, like part two was a, like about classism almost, and part three yeah. was about uh, politics, Elect- and like, part four politics. was about yeah. racism, and the, the Forever Purge is still kind of about racism, but in our current climate. I thought it's it was... More, like immigration. I thought it was well done. Yeah. I thought the Forever Purge yeah. was well done. I think it is still, again, like the quality, there's just something a little bit off, like a little low budget about it, but... I thought the yeah. commentary did uh, a decent job. I think this is one of the better sequels for this franchise, which, you know, I wouldn't expect from the fifth one, but um, it's definitely yeah. not the best. Yeah, I mean, the script is... Gar- like, there are some really laughable moments in the script, and oh, the character the development isn't really exciting. But like I said, this no. is like an easy movie to digest. You know, they are what they are. They're not... It's like there's a sense of it kind of being deeper with the social commentary, but it's really just pretty obvious. They're not, they're not going for art here. So, um, three, uh, yeah. So, so you say three. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then, uh, that gets us to our last one, which is, uh, till death starring Ms. Megan Fox. Yes. Ms. Megan Fox. It's been a while since I've seen her on the screen. I know she's come out with a few things, but I didn't watch them. Yeah, I don't think many people did. Um, there's one where there's like a CGI tiger in it, and it's just like, oh, girl. Like, <laughs> what, ha- what happened? I-, I was excited about this one because I was like, okay, the plot looks interesting enough. Um, yeah. I thought that essentially the plot is basically about a woman who wakes up uh, tie- or you know, chained to her her dead husband and then you know it's kind of like a cat and mouse sort of uh, sure. thriller it's like a survival yeah. or yeah yeah which totally. i think honestly from the half of it that i've seen so far i'm enjoying it of all the things that i've watched recently this is what like watching half of it this is the only one that's like intrigued me to watch the rest i'm like well what's gonna happen now you know the rest if i you know that i've watched like part <laughs> partials of I'm like, mm, I could watch it or I could not. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll live. But I, I'm really interested to see what happens in this one. I thought Megan Fox did a great job carrying the film. I thought she's yeah. really giving like a dynamic performance. Um, you you made a comment when we were kind of texting back and forth about it. We we're like, sometimes people that pretty just can't take seriously in these yeah, situations. <laughs> but like, um, there's sometimes you're like looking job. at her like, God, she's gorgeous. But also she's yeah. supposed to be dragging her dead husband around she's supposed to be bloody and uh, in pain and you're just like wow she's so gorgeous yeah you're like like, wow she's she's stunning i've never seen someone out of breath look so great (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) honestly except for myself Um, i thought they could have beat her up a little bit not not physically in the movie but oh my god yeah like her you know makeup maybe not so much glam her her makeup was super glam it was like bordering on like what are you angelina jolie no literally like Like in mr mrs smith like it was too it was a little much but um aside from the glam team um (laughs) yeah i think that um it was a decent film i think the villains are very believable in the movie and um i like the icy setting i think that that's always a fun Mm. little break from other things from the summertime a little right uh, from the summer heat yeah i know because then we would just get megan fox running around in a bikini and so yeah instead <laughs> instead we instead, get it's just a, a, an oversized shirt, shirt. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, great so what would you rate it i would rate this one um uh three and a half great okay that's solid that is solid and i was reading lots of reviews and um, a lot of them are saying that it's Megan Fox's career performance. So 
Oh wow! If, if if that's what you're looking for, uh, you know that that breakout acting performance from Miss <laughs> Megan, then go watch Till Death. Uh, but one movie that I watched that I was really excited to watch for the hundredth time was Scream Three. <laughs> Woo! Uh, the concluding chapter, tra- the concluding chapter of our Scream trilogy. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is uh, from, of course, our favorite movie fan- franchise. I can't even speak right now. This is, of course, from our favorite movie franchise in the world, Scream. And uh, if you've if you listened before, you know this is the first one I ever saw. And this is what made me fall in love with the Scream franchise, which is surprising because this is universally considered the worst installment in the franchise. Yeah, you know what's crazy about this one was um, I, I had been introduced to Scream with Scream, but the one I watched the most being younger was Scream 3. And I think that's because I was more able to watch this one because there was less violence in it. Yeah. But um, like you, yeah, Scream 3 was something that I watched consistently, especially because it had come out at a time where I was like a little bit older. I was like nine yeah, out of ten. Yeah, so. I, I remember asking my mom to get it from me or for me on the way home from Blockbuster. From, <laughs> As from always. Work. I, was like, I was like, mom, please, Scream 3, can you get it? And she's like, uh, okay, whatever, because my neighbor had had it and I wanted to see it. And because I was like, okay, I like anything scary. And then um, I loved it. And I had no idea what the hell was happening, who the hell Maureen Prescott was until I finally saw the other ones. I'm like, because there's all <laughs> this movie obviously has a lot to do with the original story. Right. Were, were you shocked that Maureen Prescott wasn't the lead in the other movies? <laughs> yeah, I was like, where is she? Where's Maureen? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was confusing, but I loved it, and I still can quote this movie to this day. I mean, we have some iconic moments, even though it's not the best. I mean, they're pretty. There's some pretty infamous things about this film. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, and we'll we'll just get out of the way. We'll get it out of the way now. Miss Courtney Cox's bangs, like we know. Girl, like, girl. I don't know what. So, what's the story? Didn't David Arquette say it was his fault? Uh, I'm sure it was. But I'm like, did he cut him? It's just like these Betty Page bangs, but they're like oh feathered my God, yeah. or like cut too short. She looks like a little girl who like got a pair of scissors because it's like stringy and thin. And I'm like, girl, you do not have the hair for those bangs. <laughs> and it's like jet black. It's like it's terrible bangs. It's all. It's almost like they had like an extra Cleopatra wig. And then just kind of were like, well, we need to edge it up for the 2000. Mm-hmm. And doot, 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 doot. And then, yeah. Honestly, it's not just the hair in this movie that's a mess. Honestly, the wardrobe is also a fucking mess in this movie. Oh, I can't. Like, God. this. these are, uh, I don't know what they were thinking, but some of the fashions in this movie. The makeup, even. There's one scene where Courtney Cox is orange with white lips. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's... There's a lot going on in this film, which I don't know how it got so lost, but um, derailed, just derailed and not and honestly, not just the hair and makeup. Uh, There was a lot that was going on. But before we get into that, why don't we get into the into the synopsis and then we'll uh, we'll kind of give the the pre-production story of Scream 3, which is a lot. So, yeah, why don't we get into it? Yes. 
All right, so here is Scream 3. Ring, ring. Hello. Hello? Who is this? Who's this? This is Candy. Hang on, let me get some clothes. Scream 3, released in 2000, written by Aaron Kruger, directed by Wes Craven. Our film begins on the historic Hollywood Boulevard. Stuck in traffic is Cotton Weary, played by Liev Schreiber, now a renowned daytime talk show host, who is on the phone with his manager discussing his cameo in the upcoming slasher Stab 3, Return to Woodsboro. Cotton's call is interrupted by another incoming call, but this time it seems to be a wrong number with the voice of a mysterious woman on the other line. When she recognizes his voice from television, they strike up a flirtatious conversation until the woman mentions Cotton's girlfriend. Suddenly, the voice changes to that of the serial killer Ghostface, who demands to know the hidden location of Sidney Prescott. Ghostface reveals he's in Cotton's Hollywood home where his girlfriend Christine, played by Kelly Rutherford, is taking a steamy shower. Cotton dangerously drives through traffic to make it home, calling the house, but the phone line has been cut. When Christine exits the shower, she's startled by the stereo suddenly blasting rock music. God. As she slowly makes her way through the house, thinking it might be Cotton, she's attacked by Ghostface and locks herself in the office. Ghostface's voice is out of Cotton's, who begs her to open the door, claiming he was just playing a game. However, the voice becomes aggressive and proceeds to stab holes in the door with a knife. When Cotton arrives, he makes his way through the house with a fireplace poker. When he enters the office, Christine lunges at him with a golf club from the closet, begging to know why he wants to kill her. When Cotton sees Ghostface approaching Christine from behind, he attempts to grab her, but she hits him with the golf club. Ghostface stabs Christine in the back, killing her. Cotton attempts to hold off Ghostface, but is bested by him, taking a stab to the chest. Ghostface reveals a new high-tech voice changer and uses Cotton's voice to claim he should have told him where Sydney was. Ghostface lands one last stab. Title card, Scream 3. Yes. Okay. What happened with the production of this? (laughs) Um, What didn't happen, honestly? Honestly. (laughs) According to legend, I don't know if it's legend, this is just fact, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Basically, uh, when uh, Scream was bought, it was bought from Kevin Williamson uh, with uh, after he wrote the first one he sort of sold it more as a franchise than he did um, just a singular film right and he he, so part of his contract was that he had to write kind of outlines for at least two more films and um, so he did and you know he still was the one helming the writing of Scream 2 but then comes Scream 3 and you know they looked at his outline and i don't know if they just weren't sold on his idea but they decided to scrap his idea and bring in aaron kruger to write it and and who had no previous connection to the franchise i don't i think this might have been one of the first things he had written right i also feel like he didn't know he hadn't watched the first two scream movies right well i mean he even admitted later that like being not being a part of the original productions whatever really left him not knowing exactly how to portray these characters correctly 
And so, I mean, I mean, so he did like do his research and he said he watched the other films and read all the iterations of the previous scripts just to get into, I don't know, Kevin Williamson's head. And then, uh, you know, then they proceeded to write Scream 3. And in the midst of Scream 3 being produced, uh, we had the horrible tragedy, like American tragedy that was Columbine. And uh, Columbine like directly affected this film. Like there was, there was a call for movies to not portray uh, so much violence, and uh, because the Columbine shootings were being directly correlated to violence in media, uh, so this movie was directly affected. The studios even approached Wes Craven and said, "We actually, you know, what do you think about making the f- the film, but without any violence at all?" And he was like, "Uh." okay, now we're being ridiculous. Like, let's make, we either make a different movie or we make Scream, you know? And so right. they they somehow came to a compromise and the production went forward, but that took a big hit on how, how the movie came about because part of Aaron Kruger's task now was to make the film more comedic than we had seen previously which is pretty apparent when you watch the film i mean this film definitely angles more towards comedy than it does horror which there's always been like a a healthy balance i would say in the scream in the previous two but this one definitely tips the scale and comedy sort of takes takes hold and i uh, honestly i don't think that sits well with many people who who watched the franchise and um, that sort of sets the stage to why this film was already in shambles before it even began and right. so like once production came around they had they were literally writing scenes on the spot because and things weren't connecting Yikes. so they were having to add more scenes and film more things and go back and reshoot scenes and um, one of the biggest things that happened to this film well, I don't want to say happened but that occurred during this film was that Nev Campbell was was so tightly scheduled at the time that she only had 20 days to film her role in this film which left the writers having to to figure out a new angle so that's why this movie focuses way more on Galen Dewey which uh, to me I don't necessarily hate I I love the, the fact that like Gail's character gets to shine a little more and you know Dewey's always been kind of whatever to me but it is not it, it is interesting to see how they how they had to get around the fact that our main character in this franchise wasn't going to be our main character. Well, Kevin Williamson said the franchise isn't Sydney. True. And he's, he, he said he was ready to take on the tackle that um, obstacle of her barely being around. I don't know. I thought it would have been a cool opportunity for Gail to kind of come up and be the center of attention. Yeah. I think she's not even that. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously they they had to at some point reintroduce Sydney back in. So the first half of the movie is really, honestly, Gail's movie, or at least Gail and Dewey's movie. And then yeah. the second half kind of shifts it, and then we get our heroine back. And um, w- one of the interesting things I read, too, was that... Uh, Aaron Kruger again didn't really understand how to play the or how to write these characters that well and one of the things that he tried to do was make Sydney into a more of like a Linda Hamilton character or how I would see it now is how how the character of Laurie Strode has become in this new iteration of the Halloween franchise and I think Wes Craven had to step in and be like no 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 that's 
that's not our Sydney. Like, that's that's not going to be her. And so even Wes Craven had his hand in the writing and the development of this, especially the script, I guess. I guess that even though he's uncredited, you know, there's a lot of talk that Wes had a way more to do with the script than, um, than he's given credit for. Like, like I said, they were writing things on the day people were getting script pages on the day of filming. So the line that comes later of uh, where it's like, how the fuck are we supposed to learn our lines? And there's a new script every 15 minutes is very true to the development of uh, Scream 3. Yeah. Yeah. That was just uh, the movie reading itself. Okay. So this opening, Cotton finally got the fame he wanted in Scream 2. Congratulations, yes, Cotton. Finally. Yeah, absolutely. Now he's a star. And one of the things that I do like about this film and um, one of Aaron Kruger's tactics was that he was like, well, I think these characters just need to end up in bigger and bigger places. So that's why we get the setting of Hollywood, because I think the original script that Kevin Williamson had pitched brought the movie back to Woodsboro already. And I think, again, with the call to... uh, and violence around teens and things like that. They were worried about the movie having too much centered around high schoolers killing, you know, or a high school setting. So they said, you know what? We'll take it to Hollywood. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and I love it. I, I mean, I, that's one of my favorite aspects about this film because I love like, I don't know, like the Hollywood projection scene. I think that's really cool. And to have the movie kind of set there, yeah. I think is really fun. It doesn't really save the movie in any way, but I just think that no. uh, that transition from w- small town Woodsboro to big city Hollywood to big city LA is uh, a really fun transition. Yeah, well, it really reflects what happens in the movie, too. It's like, this, here was this girl just living her life, and now she's, you know, being... yeah portrayed on film because of the experiences that she's lived through so this is just how the story grows the movies grow and yeah you know everybody so on and so forth totally yeah it's like that natural progression like the next stop in a movie that's sort of made popular by dissecting movies is to take it to where movies are made and uh i don't know i think that's awesome so i i do really like this hollywood setting he's stuck there right there on hollywood boulevard and uh we have (laughs) The introduction of a really weird plot device used in this film, which is that of a voice changer that can mimic anybody's voice. Girl, this was a reach. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like almost too convenient of a plot device. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does this? E- how does this even happen? Like, I know we're in a way we have to suspend our disbelief when it comes to Ghostface. Like. We, we've established this before that it's once you put the ghost face costume on you're your own entity but like to have to be able to just change your voice to whoever's is just so it's so outlandish like I, I'm at first I'm kind of like wow that works really great with modern technology but like do we even have this technology now no we do no and you could say well maybe it was just you know a really ho- a great Hollywood uh, prop but it's like even Hollywood doesn't have props that good like no this is like beyond ridiculous <laughs> yeah this is like be this is like beyond reaching this is like this exists in a different world the voice changer in scream one it's like wow what uh, i know crazy thought <laughs> yeah i mean obviously that's already exaggerated the fact that it'll sound like a completely different one man's voice but now to be able to mimic identically people dead people 
Like which we Maureen. Like what? But who is this woman? Now who is this woman talking to Cotton? This woman <laughs> is I don't know. I, I one of my favorite parts that this woman says is when he goes, um, can you hold on? I have another call on the other line. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, cotton weary. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's I so gross. Believe. Like, cotton. Oh, would, he's so like, skeezy. He's like so into this. He's like, ooh, like she sounds hot. Like, oh god. Oh god. Sex. Even when he's like, are you a one hundred percent cotton fan? <laughs> oh my oh god! god. <laughs> At first, I feel like that. All, that took, again, when I didn't understand what was happening, I remember I was like, "What does that mean? Are you a one hundred percent cotton fan?" I didn't realize that was the name of his talk of show his, for the long syndicated time. talk show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like the Tyra Show. <laughs> Which honestly, this is a very clever title for a show for someone oh. named Cotton. One hundred percent cotton. I, I mean, if somebody's <laughs> going to be named Cotton. It only makes sense. <laughs> so then he, like, you know, Ghostface calls him. We have the in- introduction of Kelly Rutherford, which apparently she was an addition, like a late addition to the production. Originally, Cotton's girlfriend was literally just going to be a dead body. I think that he... <laughs> So Cotton like bursts in the house and she was already dead and we're like, oh, we didn't need an actual actress. But then they realize, oh, maybe we should uh, give Liev somebody to interact with. Let's. Well, uh, honestly, she might as well be a dead body because <laughs> first of all, she can't hear the ghost face and the damn thing. He's like, she's got a nice little voice. And it's Are like, you kidding me? Do you, bitch, you can't hear was, him? She's all... <laughs> 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 yeah, she's like fucking Snow White up in here. Yeah. So obviously, she can't hear <laughs> Ghostface full on talking in the bathroom with her. Kelly Rutherford, she made a, probably a cute little paycheck coming in for five seconds for this movie because she gets <laughs> off pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm sure she gets paid. She got paid the same as one of those episodes of Melrose Place. Oh my god, yeah, exactly. But oh my god, her scream when she gets stabbed in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, so I mean, loud and her mouth is so big. Yes, I know. <laughs> and then she just drops. <laughs> she just drops and then she's dead. No more screaming. She died instantly. She made the most of her of her little screen time. So yeah, yeah. good for you, Kelly. I actually like this opening sequence. I really I, I enjoy Christine. I enjoy Cotton. Oh, and you know what? We have looked so hot in this, but he knew he looked hot because he insisted that Cotton take his coat off so that he could show off his new body that he'd been working on. Okay, all right. I'm not mad about it. You know, I'm Me a either. 100% Cotton fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 110%. <laughs> 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 I love that. Um, I, and I do, I think that having a character, because at this point, the whole big star in the beginning being killed off with Drew and then Jada, like that's been there, done that, right? So what do you do in Scream 3? Oh, I know, you make Cotton the big star and then you uh, yeah. kill him off. Because that I, th- I thought that was a really great thing. I thought it could have been Sydney, honestly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a nice sort of twist to kill off one of our surviving characters in the opening kill. I think that's smart. Um, yeah. It's a little, it's a little diversion from where, uh, where we think it's gonna go. Because again, 
We're on the third movie now. We think we got this formula down. So it was a nice little twist. Apparently, this whole cotton sequence was supposed to be completely different. <laughs> Apparently, uh, he was supposed to have whooped Ghostface's ass and oh. had some escape through the skylight. And I don't know if he somehow died there or something. What? But they like they shot it and they were like, wait a minute. This guy looks bad that Ghostface is getting his ass whooped right in the beginning of the movie. That doesn't make him scary. So, like, let's redo this. And now we're going to have Cotton get his ass whooped by Ghostface. Which is not believable. Because then when you think about it, when the mask is off, you're like, could Roman have uh, beat up Cotton? Probably not. He's a little windy. I don't don't know. Yeah, he's kind of... I mean... Anyway, the anger, yeah. the anger. You're right. You, I mean, yeah, his adrenaline was pumping, I guess, and strength he had, and um, anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a few Red Bulls first, and then was like, "I'm gonna get him." And um, <laughs> so, yeah, and then he, Cotton is our first kill. I mean, I mean, Christine, but oh, she's on a, you, she's honestly unnecessary. But I mean, it was, I guess, you know what I was gonna I, say about Christine's massive scream was that. What? When she's doing it, he, you know, he's holding her from behind. Her shoulder brushes against the chin of the mask. And so if you look at Ghostface without looking at Christine, it almost looks like Ghostface is screaming. (laughs) (laughs) That is a really strange observation, but um, I'm going to have to look for that next time. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, audience. Go out and rewatch Scream 3 now. (laughs) Yeah, you have to see it. It (laughs) The plot hole... That now the movie makes sense. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so uh, what do you think of this little title card? I know you're picky about them. Oh, I know. Scream 2 is awful, awful, awful. <laughs> um, so Scream 3, this one, honestly, I think but so far one. has been the best one. The, the oh, best yeah. One. I don't the even like Scream light. 4. Oh. oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I, it's so well done because Ghostface is holding the... Um, it was a simple game, Cotton. You should have told me where Sydney was. Now, <laughs> you lose. And then the knife comes down and it just goes, and it slices open the the uh, screen. And then the word scream come out in black letters. And with that big ass three, which is, you know, going to be the uh, sound effect of our opening for Fear the Talking <laughs> Season 3. <laughs> yeah. Okay, attention, Easter eggs. Um, so I love this title card. I honestly don't think anything has measured up so far. But that Scream 5, or, well, yeah, no, Scream 5. That Scream 5 title card looks pretty promising also. It sure does. I wonder I wonder what's going to happen to get there. Ah, I'm so excited. Ooh. Who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? Never going to get it, never going to get it, never going to get it. <laughs> okay, are we moving on? Yeah. We are reintroduced to Sydney Prescott, played by Tori Spelling. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Ah, oh, my God. <laughs> Just kidding. Angelina Tyler. <laughs> yeah, Angelina <laughs> Tyler. No, no. Played by Cindy Campbell. Oh, I mean. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's not get this shit off. Played by Nev Campbell, who is living in a secluded location with a dog named Cherokee and extra security measures. <laughs> Sydney has changed her name to Laura and works as a women's crisis counselor over the phone. In LA, Gail Weathers, once again played by Courtney Cox, is giving a lecture on cutthroat journalism to a class of college kids when she's approached by a detective Kincaid, played by Patrick Dempsey. Kincaid tells Gail that Cotton has been murdered and that the killer left a picture of Sidney Prescott's mother. Sidney catches Nancy O'Dell report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes, yes. Come on, Nancy, the true final girl of the Scream franchise. Yeah, seriously, she survived every single one. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to watch this action play out from over there. She's the, yeah. the smartest, honestly, the smartest character in the Scream franchise. Yeah, she's smarter than Gail. She's the, yeah. she's the reporter who isn't involved. She's watching from the sidelines, making the money. <laughs> Sydney hmm. catches Nancy O'Dell report the news on the murder. We now get to the set of Stab 3, return to Woodsboro at Sunrise Studios in sunny Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> the director of Stab 3, Roman Bridger, played by Scott Foley, argues with horror producer John Milton, played by Lance Henriksen, and other executives who threaten to shut the movie down after the murder. The cast of Stab 3 sits and contemplates who the killer could be and if they're in any danger. The cast includes AJ. <laughs> the cast includes aging blonde Sarah Darling, played by Jenny McCarthy. Frustrated token black actor Tyson Fox, played by Dion Richmond. Tabloid favorite playing Dewey, Tom Prince, played by Matt Kiesler. And ingenue, Angelina Tyler, played by Emily Mortimer, who is playing the role of Sydney after winning a talent search of thousands of girls when uh, Tori Spelling refused to return. Yeah, what do you think? Why didn't Tori Spelling want to come back? Tori was like, you know what? I take my career very seriously now. I've played Sydney in two films. They're based on true stories. And now this is just getting ridiculous. Maybe Seth yeah. threw straight to video. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So she's like, I'm going to ABC Family for this Christmas film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm go- I'm on my way to the 90210 reboot. I cannot. I think Tori Spelling was busy filming Scary Movie too, so she couldn't. Oh, <laughs> hello. Duh. <laughs> she she thought she was doing Stab Three, but it was actually yeah. Scary Movie Two. Yeah. Wait, what movie am I here for? Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. She's like, wow, Sydney's Sydney's <laughs> completely derailed. <laughs> Stab Two. Wait, your character's name is Cindy. My character's name is. Sydney. Oh, How funny, right? <laughs> Wait, my character is named Alex. Where am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Gail arrives on the set to assist Detective Kincaid and is confronted by Jennifer Jolie, played by Parker Posey. An eccentric. I know. Oh, my God. You know, God bless Parker Posey. An eccentric actress reprising her role as Gail in the film. The two do not hit it off, and Gail is surprised to find Dewey, once again played by David Arquette, is a technical advisor on the film. Tom Prince also confronts Gail, accusing her of faking a tabloid story about him. Gail is then ousted from the set by John Milton due to her press affiliation. Sydney discusses her mother with her father, Neil, and wonders why her mother had so many secrets. Sydney then experiences a hallucination of her mother as a ghost that turns into <laughs> ghost face and attacks her. Ah! <laughs> oh, I can't nice. even say it with a straight face. I know. Fortunately, it was only a dream. <laughs> Sarah Darling arrives at Sunrise Studios after receiving a call from Ronan. <laughs> yeah, remember she she fully calls him Ronan. Yeah. Roman, who is stuck in traffic, wants to go over some character development with Sarah, and they begin to run lines over the phone. When Roman claims there is a new script and movie, his voice changes to Ghostface and threatens to kill her. She is attacked by Ghostface in the costume racks, forcing her into the prop room to try and defend herself with malleable props. Ghostface punches Sarah through a glass window and stabs her in the back. 
Ooh. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is a big section, but, um, you Girl, know, this is a big this, section. I'm like, wait, what? we got a lot of people to meet. We got all new characters. We got to get to know. Yeah. And they just gonna throw them all at us in one, <laughs> in one section. But first we get our first glimpse of Sydney who um, looks like she's living back in Woodsboro. Where is she? She's in literally, I think this is filmed in Runyon Canyon in LA. Okay. And so she's just, she, you know, took all of her money, obviously, because this would not be cheap to live in. Well, you this whole, like... I do think that this is supposed to reflect Northern California slightly, just because of um, Neil Prescott, who is also reintroduced in this section, which is nice to see him, since he was absent in Scream yeah, 2. Like, yeah, what's up? How you doing, Daddy? Hey, Daddy. <laughs> um... He uh, comes back and he says, Sydney, uh, you know, you should think about coming back home. So clearly he's still living in Woodsboro. So I feel like she may not be too far. Maybe this is supposed to be Moran or something. Yeah. What is he doing? Does he live there too? Does he, does they both leave? Do they both live in the woods with the fucking Unabomber? It seems or? like he runs errands for her. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to do your grocery shopping. She's like, thanks. Yeah. She's like, good, because I don't want to leave. The killer's there. At the grocery yeah, store. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what? After Scream 1, that's that could be the truth. Okay. I do have to say this. I think that what Scream 1 did very well was really fine-tune the details. Like, uh, we talked about on the Scream episodes that we did previously, Woodsboro really feels like a part, a character in the movie, the town of Woodsboro. Yeah. And, um... In this one, the details I feel like were overlooked. Like Hollywood does play a big role in this, and it does it play a character in itself. But Sydney's surroundings, like she's in seclusion, and if you pay attention in the background while she's walking up with her dog Cherokee, um, <laughs> there's a <laughs> car. Her car is parked in the background, and it is a bright red Jeep with a convertible, and the top is down. I'm like, I don't think a woman living in seclusion is going to be driving a red <laughs> convertible with the top down. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. She's just like, I gotta let the wind blow through my hair. Blow away, blow away my trauma. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Sydney anymore. I'm Laura. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love her as a women's crisis counselor. I mean, that's such a good, yeah, that's a cute, like, thing. Like, obviously, Sydney knows how to, uh, I don't know, deal with trauma, but she has her own and she sympathizes with women who have probably been through horrendous things. And so I think it's really awesome to see that. Sydney took this experience and she's trying to give back. And then, then we we fly across California uh, back to to Gail Weathers, who is um, at UCLA giving a talk about being being cutthroat. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because we don't really know so much of the context. We just get the very last line of what she says. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of silly. She's like, and that's what it takes, or whatever she says. Um, um, to get the fame, the, the glory, yes. and the fortune, or what did she say? Something, something like that. Like the fame, the glory, the man, the uh, <laughs> the dog. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying that we should go out and cut each other's throats like you did? Metaphorically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this supposed to be like a, a comment that like the general public sees her as vicious as opposed to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The... the the dainty flower that is well at this uh, point they've seen two videos of gail weathers getting punched on national television by um (laughs) sydney so they're like yeah yeah obviously she has something coming so i'm gonna be rude to her in the middle of her seminar 
Oh, so then we get the introduction of Patrick Dempsey, Mr. McDreamy himself. Yeah, who looks um, good. Has Detective King Kate. He's fine. He's not for me. But a lot of people love him. And yeah. so I love that for you. Charming quality. If you like it, I love it. Yeah. Right, exactly. And then we get this introduction of Sydney's mother coming back into the picture. Okay. Like, well, first, hold up, hold up, hold up. How the hell does she not recognize Mrs. Loomis, but she recognized Miss Maureen Prescott in this picture? Oh my gosh, she's like, oh my god, Maureen Prescott. I'm like, wait, what? Good thing she said it, because I wouldn't have known. Oh my god, if I saw a picture of you when you were a teenager, I'd say, who the hell is that? So I see, I see your point. I know, I'm so gorgeous now, and I was like really awkward. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, so yeah, so now Sydney's mother is being reintroduced. This is like taking it back to the beginning, like where this all started with. It all started because Sydney's mom is uh, was having a problem with infidelity. Yeah, but now we're like, oh wait, what? How? Where is this killer getting these pictures from? What's going on? What's going on? I don't know. Who? Wh- why? Why is Gail never seen these pictures? She must have seen every single picture of her ever taken. Right. So that leads us to the set of Stab Three, where the investigation continues. Yes, where we meet literally all of our kill fodder, all the filler, yeah, kill- all the filler queens, yeah. all the all the kill fodder you could ever hope for, right in this very moment. So we meet uh, Roman Bridger. We'll have a lot to talk about him right. very very soon. Um, but then we get we get the cast of Stab Three, mm-hmm. which we have some really kind of fun fun heavy hitters here. And then some really forgettable ones. Yeah, right. I think it's fun to see Jenny McCarthy in here. Oh, yeah. I love Jenny McCarthy. Well, uh, let me take that back. She's funny. Do I love her? No. But, um, yeah, I love... She's funny when she's in things. She's fun. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she is a funny actress, especially at that time. And, um, I don't know. Yeah, it is fun to see her. And she plays... She's really great in this best performance I've ever seen from her. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then that and the mass singer. We also have, <laughs> we also have Dion Richmond who, um, I remember being little on TV, the Cosby show. I think, I think he was mm. like <laughs> Raven's little friend in the Cosby show. Oh, I didn't even know. Let's move on. So we don't have to say that name again. Um, Oh my and God. And, uh, Emily Mortimer. What girl? Yeah, I know. I'm always, I always forget that she's in this movie. It's so random because, so you know, random. she's gone on to do like a lot of great things. other things where she, yeah, she's like done some big things. And I'm always like, oh yeah, I always forget you're in this movie <laughs> um, as like playing Sydney. Uh, and she's like, her character is like this, you know, sweet, demure girl, but they sort of allude that she might be secretly vicious. And I think this was uh, supposed to be a bit of a red herring, especially because, um, According to the original script, I think Angelina was supposed to be one of the killers. Oh, yeah. That brings me to one of the comments that we always ask on Instagram for people to join us. Nobody wants to leave us voice recording. So I just have to pull it out of you guys to get your opinion on the movies that we do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, one of our Insta friends, Jack Reacts, said that the worst thing about um, Scream 3 is the inconsistencies with Angelina because he thinks it was obvious that she was supposed to be the second killer, but that they changed it last minute. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I wonder uh, why they why they changed that I don't um I read or heard or maybe it was in the commentary that they changed it because 
um, Weinstein, not Harvey, but the other one, decided Bob. that the two killer thing had been done. So, okay. I mean, that's true. There's been two killers in every movie. This is the only one so far with one killer. So, okay. That. I mean, it would have been interesting to see like her have a better arc because her character. <laughs> It has a lot of incons- inconsistency, just like Jack React says. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's sort of portrayed as, like, secretly maybe not as demure as she portrays herself, that she potentially clawed her way to the top. Mm-hmm. And then we end up do finding out later that uh, she she did. She uh, used her body to secure the role. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess that's supposed to, like, vilify her in some way. Like, well, obviously she's a, she's a killer. Right. On, on top of that mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so um i don't know yeah i i agree there are some weird inconsistencies with her but i um, i think the introduction to this these characters are really interesting because they're sort of like you know production is on hold the, the executive producers and the producers are standing around with roman they're talking about putting the movie on hold because cotton's just been murdered you know it's called stab he was stabbed and it's like <laughs> this is sort of what scream 3 why scream 3 is the way it is because of the columbine murders you know it yeah. had a direct effect to the movie so i think this movie reflects reality in more ways than one and this is just one of the smaller aspects of that um example yeah agreed agreed um and then we we move right along we meet another one of our characters and this one girl ooh, she saves this motherfucking movie from from the hell that it could have been. And that is Parker Posey as Jennifer Jolie. I actually heard that her back still hurts from carrying this film. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) She honestly does. Like she, her character is the best, probably one of the best things to ever happen to the franchise in general. But she is so funny in this. And, you know, I mean, Parker Posey is an incredible comedic actress and she has such her own brand of humor that is so specifically hers. Oh and my god, her line so delivery she, alone. She, yeah, her line delivery, everything. Like, and she just brings it to this movie, and it's just fat. It's so campy. She's like, she's like, her and Gail's uh, like sort of standoff moments are so funny, and it's so not. Their dynamic is so good. They play off of each yeah, other very exactly. well. Yeah, it, and it's it's a saving grace of this film. And I think across the board, everybody sort of agrees with that. I think even some of our comments agreed. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, Jack reacts once again. Jennifer is the best character. And then Mike Achew, who's been the only one brave enough to actually be on <laughs> Fear the Talking Queers, um, said Parker Posey interacting with Gail is a laughing face emoji because it's so good. It is so good. Just great banter. Uh, you can just tell that she's she's just a pro. And um, thank God, because she brings such like a, a fun aspect to this film. She's manic. She's crazy. She's confrontational. She's she's dramatic. She's campy. She's just everything. And so, according to um, another friend of ours, Marvin Hidalgo, on Instagram, uh, every second of Parker Posey, including the Scream 1 stripey highlight wig. yes yes that's so good i love that i love that too that they do that wardrobe with gail and jennifer which i think we talked about in the scream franchise episode that we did where they constantly reflect each other's outfits because gail unfortunately is back to these neon suits
suits that we saw her in in the first one. And oh, she's, horrible. She's, that fucking, uh, the worst the suit is in this scene. The yellow with oh. that, she looks like McDonald's oh. with that red shirt. Uh. And that, <laughs> it's hideous. It's just horrendous. But um, I think Parker Posey looks great. Jennifer Jolie, Miss Jennifer Jolie, rocking that green neon suit from the first movie. Yeah, I think she looks fantastic. <laughs> the Wrigley double mint twins—that's what they look like. In this <laughs> one, yeah, but their their banter when she's always like, um, "You can always go," or what did she say? She's like, "Sorry, things didn't work out with sixty minutes too, but uh, total entertainment—it's a pretty good fallback." I'm sorry that things didn't work out with Brad Pitt, but being single, that's a pretty good fallback. Gives me more time for my work. Um, I think that was really funny, too, because Brad Pitt, and then her name is Jennifer Jolie, like Jennifer Aniston. Aniston I know. <laughs> they predicted the they predicted the future with that one. Oh, wait a minute. Who's that walking up? Here comes Dewey with one mustache. Oh, my God. He look, he From the first movie to this movie, he literally looks like he's aged 20 years. Unbelievable. Hollywood has chewed him up and spit him out <laughs> in the past four years when you watch this movie. I'm like, what happened to him? He was kind of cute in the first one. He was charming, adorable. In the second one, he looks a little skinny. And now in this one, you're like, whoa, what is going on? Who's, whose dad is that? Well, I don't know. Maybe just that Arquette uh, marriage bliss was... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's comfortable. I don't know. Not He's too just, comfortable. I don't know. I mean, he just doesn't look the same. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> the limp is the limp gone. The limp, no? the limp is gone. Um, but I think it just transferred to his mustache because it just changes shape <laughs> and size throughout the entire film. What a mess. <laughs> oh wait, we forgot. We forgot the introduction of two other characters. Um, Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! What the fuck are they doing this? Thinking fucking like, Gail Weathers is Connie Chung. <laughs> yeah, because this is like, I get it. Like they're trying to be meta and like portray Hollywood like as a parody. I don't know. Yeah, and it's stupid. We don't. Stupid. But why are why are characters from other movies in this movie? It's just so bizarre. Like. You know what? One of the inconsistencies um, I think we can see in the writing, like you said, Aaron Kruger wasn't very familiar with these who these characters were at this point, I think is Dewey's return in this film. I think him being a technical advisor on Stab 3 is a total... Why would he do that? His sister was literally murdered. Yes. Everybody knows he's been murdered. Like, why would he be like, I'm going to be a technical advisor on this film? This goes they against his values and his morals. I mean, I guess you can say maybe he was just like, you know, kind of trying to put himself in a position where he could come across Gale again but even then I think this is a really weak storyline for him yeah it just doesn't make sense for his character to to be involved in this like I feel like he would take this a little more seriously than than that having his sister die in the first film to protecting Sydney in the second and now to this like you almost died he's been stabbed a lot so maybe this is his way of confronting his trauma who knows but I think oh I mean okay I don't think it's I don't think it's right Facing it head on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's kind of weak for sure. Okay, let's get to so, um, <laughs> so then we we get to uh, Miss fucking Maureen Prescott making her film debut. After all this hype over who Maureen was, girl. She's been the reason yes, for this. Sydney's been paying for the sins of her mother. And now that we get this introduction to Maureen, you're like, this is uncalled for. Yeah. How dare they turn her into a fucking ghost. haunted mansion ass ghost. Bitch. She's blowing fucking. in the wind. She's blue. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, though. When I was a kid, this part scared the fuck out of me. Because of all the parts of the you movie. You were nine years old, Jake. <laughs> 
I know, but this was so that moment when she like looks at the camera and her eyes are bulging out of her head. <laughs> and it, I would have not. I feel like I would have nightmares about that part. I, I I love when she's like she's like asking a question constantly. She's like, Sid, come here. Mother needs to talk to you. <laughs> That was probably just like a typo in the script, but she took it literally. Yeah. They're like, no, those are supposed to be exclamation points. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, whatever. That Lynn, <laughs> Lynn McCree and the mirror practicing her lines. <laughs> okay. I, this is what they wrote. Sid, come here. Mother needs to talk to talk to you. <laughs> and then she and then she and then she drops it. Everything you touch, Sid, dies. Dies. You're, you're just like me. <laughs> You're poison. And then her nasty nails when they like scratch down the glass. Oh, and yeah. It sort of sounds like nails on a chalkboard. I'm like, I hate that part. There's too. some blood. And then Sydney's like, mommy. And she goes to the window. And here comes Ghostface. Boo. I know. Yeah. And then it's, it was all a dream. Thank God. And I'm like, this, they did her dirty. That was not, that should not have been, first of all, included in the script at all. What the fuck is her being a ghost have to do with anything? <laughs> They're like, you know what, Maureen, they, the rules are that in a trilogy, in a third one, the past comes back to bite you in the ass. And they were like, well, this is the perfect, <laughs> this is <laughs> perfect, perfect opportunity way. to introduce a ghost into this story. Yeah. I think Maureen, what do you think? Maureen seems like, <laughs> um, kind of like a shady ass mom. Like, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's rude. Yeah. Like Romans and per, like, in, that's not even just Roman. I guess it's her own mind's version of Maureen. Is that she was kind of a see you next Tuesday. So yeah. <laughs> in my she, mind, she's she constantly smoke, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Mm, everything you Sid. touch, it dies. You're poison. Yeah. You're just like me. You're poison. <laughs> Your box office poison, just like I was. <laughs> and creatures from the San Andreas fault. Ooh, look at that's Sydney. what they called me. She's in this big blockbuster hit stab. You know what my big blockbuster hit was? The the creatures of San Andreas fault. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's in that picture. They don't know talent when they seize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But you know what? At least we finally got to see Lynn McCree in her role as Maureen Prescott. I mean, she yeah, went from photos her. to a full blown scene that honestly is not forgettable. It, this is quite <laughs> prominent. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'll never be able to get this image out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> So then, um, <laughs> so then here comes Jenny McCarthy w- zooming in on her fucking yeah. <laughs> convertible her car. And, uh, I honestly think this scene is very funny. I think it's, I love, we, we, you and I quote this, oh, this constantly conversation she has with Roman all the time in almost every episode of this, of this podcast. Yeah. Is there another goddamn rewrite? That's like such yeah. a classic. Uh, such a classic. Oh, um, I love it from right off the bat when she walks in and that big ghost face mask is on the wall and she just looks at it and she goes, stop three. Jesus, I got to get a new agent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then she has this like this phone call with Roman, quote unquote. But I think this is funny because this he probably was actually just using his real voice. Imagine if he, if he was using the the voice changing device, but as himself. <laughs> I, like, just for consistency's sake. <laughs> oh, and I love this Stab Three script. Oh my, <laughs> it's so beautifully written. <laughs> ring ring. Hello. Hello. Who is this? Hang on, let me get some clothes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love when she's like talking about it and she's like complaining about it. And she's like, I'm not happy about being a 35 year old playing a 21 year old. 
and I'm not happy that I have to die naked. And then she's like saying all this, and she's like at the same time like cupping her boob and like <laughs> oh yeah, and like her fixing makeup. her lipstick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not happy then. And why am I showering? The whole shower thing's been done. Vertigo, hello. Which honestly, I'm like, in what universe would somebody mistake vertigo for psycho? Yeah, girl. Yeah, that's <laughs> stupid. That wasn't even a funny joke. They tried to make that joke funny. And it they was like, did. What? I was like, girl, stop. <laughs> but then, uh, then she has her kill scene, and you know, pretty, pretty standard. It's sort of small scale compared to like this moment, which I would say was like uh, the CC moment, which was like such a big thing. Yeah, this is the hot girl death. This is the Tatum, CC, and Olivia death. For the other films. Yeah. And it's okay compared to him. I do like that she like is fighting him with these props. Oh, bending. bending. Because they're not real. <laughs> when she li- <laughs> My favorite is when she lifts up that knife and it's just flopping back and forth. <laughs> oh, fuck! <laughs> yeah. But honestly, when she gets punched through that window and stabbed, first of all, obvious stunt double. Bitch, that wig. Bitch, that, that, that up close shot of that shiny ass polyester wig. <laughs> oh, no, that no, no. That fucking party city wig. <laughs> and, oh, my God. It's so and then, funny. And then when they just show her face drop down, it's like lipstick Wait, yeah, like- smears on her face and like... Like, girl, no, not this. Like, this is as gory as it gets, this whole movie. Like, Oh, my God. And so. I'm so excited to get to this next section because, honestly, the performances. <laughs> oh, un- unmatched, unmatched in any movie ever. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Dewey and Gail have lunch and look back on their failed attempt at a relationship as Gail couldn't handle the small town Woodsboro life and pursued a career instead. By the way, I've been to this cafe... I took pictures and I ordered a uh, a pastry from uh, there. And you texted me the entire time you were there. Yes, I was like, oh my god, I was like, this is the best moment of my life. I'm at that restaurant that they ate. Didn't at. you get a lemonade? <laughs> I did. I got a lemonade <laughs> and some sort of pastry, and I sat there and I felt just like Gail Weathers, <laughs> but with better hair. Yeah, with yeah, but with longer bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Dewey explains to Gail that Sydney's police file was almost stolen from Woodsboro and that it's possible that somebody on the film wants to find Sydney. Jennifer Jolie calls for Dewey while having a breakdown as her character in Stab 3 dies next, and the kills are following the kill order in the script. Gail is also appalled to find that Dewey lives on the property with Jennifer. Stone, Jennifer's bodyguard, played by Patrick Warburton, tells Dewey to leave the protection to him. Kincaid and his partner Wallace discover another picture of Maureen Prescott with the body of Sarah Darling and tell Gail that there are three versions of the script with three different next victims. Roman is arrested on set for having supposedly called Sarah before the murder, a claim he denies. Sydney receives a phone call on the women's crisis line from an upset woman who begins to become threatening and claims that she is Sydney's mother. Sydney finds the call to be coming from her home line, After seeing on the TV that there's been another murder, the voice turns to Ghostface, revealing himself to be after her. (laughs) Do what mother tells you, now turn on the news! (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer has a rap party at her Hollywood Hills home with Tom, Angelina, and Dewey. When Gail arrives, she's caught sneaking around the house by stone. Gail shows the pictures of Maureen to Dewey, and he instantly recognizes the background as the back lot of Sunrise Studios. Meanwhile, Stone is attacked by Ghostface in Dewey's trailer. When Gail, Dewey, Jennifer, Angelina, and Tom regroup in the foyer, the door opens to reveal the stabbed and bloodied Stone who falls to the ground. The power is cut off, and the crew runs out to the backyard. When the fax machine receives the message, they run inside to read that the killer will grant mercy to somebody, but the message is unfinished. 
When they run back outside, Tom runs back in to read the rest of the message. Using a lighter for light, he reads the rest of the message, saying the killer will grant mercy to whoever smells the gas. The house and Tom explode, causing the rest to roll down the hill to the street below. Dewey finds Gale in the street, but Ghostface attempts to attack her from behind. Dewey shoots Ghostface in the chest several times, but he rolls under a car and escapes. An upset Jennifer shows up to punch Dewey, which causes Gale to punch Jennifer. Angelina also appears in a daze. They find another picture of Maureen with the words, I killed her, written on the back. You! Like I'm ever gonna win an award playing you! <laughs> yeah. Yes. So this is like Parker Posey at her uh, just out of 10 in this scene. And mm-hmm. it's so good. She's like chain smoking and having a full on diva <laughs> fit, even though it's pretty justifiable because we're talking about the fact that she thinks she's going to be murdered next. So I can't yeah. blame her. You see this? I haven't had one of these in how many years? Five years. Someone's going to pay for this. oh my gosh i love it i know and like this just sort of adds to like the the rivalry between gail and jennifer as dewey is now living on the property with jennifer and oh my god gail cannot handle it no it's too much here's another weird writing moment sort of similar in the vein to scream Scream 2 where they like start off with this idea that never gets flushed out no this is the last time we hear of this (laughs) yeah again this is like why do they keep doing this even Aaron Kruger fell into this hole where it's like oh they're being killed in the order that they're being killed in the script like um how do you know final destination called they want their idea back (laughs) yeah honestly it's like okay but again this uh, this never comes up again no this is it three different people get killed next like have they stuck with that idea that actually could have been really fun yeah that would have been really fun but again they just abandon these ideas it's like why even introduce them in the first place and then roman gets in trouble because they're like well sarah darling said you called her he must have planned for this he's like okay then i'm gonna get arrested like right like he has to have or do you think that he's like nervous in this scene where he's like wait what the fuck i guess i didn't think that one through or, or maybe this Ooh, is maybe. to clear his name. Kind of like when uh, Billy gets arrested in Scream 1. Right, exactly. Because you now he's been released. They had nothing on him. Oh, wait. Okay. This dialogue also in this scene with Jennifer when she's, <laughs> oh <my God>. when <laughs> she's <laughs> like, Jesus, it's not the end of the world, Roman. And he goes, oh, so easy for you to say. You can always go back to must-see TV. And she goes, <gasps> <laughs> oh my god which is funny because again that's like another dig at like courtney and jennifer aniston <laughs> right who are who must because must see tv was like friends that was like the prime time television yeah jesus roman remind me not to sleep with him again <laughs> <laughs> so good so stupid so stupid we get sydney back at her place Talking to her mom, just having a casual conversation. I killed someone, Laura. Um, okay, who you need to call is the police. No, I need to call you. Just you. <laughs> oh my god. Roman is definitely a director, not an actor. I guess <laughs> this performance is Maureen. <laughs> this could have been a real call that was being called into this women's crisis counseling and here Sydney is wrapped up in her trauma because she's like, your your voice, like, d- Laura, you're talking to a woman who just killed somebody. <laughs> this is not about you, Sydney, but somehow it's always about you. Turn on the news. 
<laughs> There's no business like show business. business. I know. Now turn on the news. <laughs> <laughs> then we have this insane. Oh my god! This cast party <laughs> sequence. It's like whole set piece set at the party which is like so and this is this whole scene is so indicative of like 2000s movies i think we've talked about this before but it's just like more is more now we're adding fucking house explosions to the list of things that happen in these movies techniques that ghost faces used stabbing garage doors Oh, and uh, yeah. house explosions. <laughs> it's like so insane. They're like, he's like writing the script page in the moment. First of all, if all the power goes out in the house, how the fuck is the fax machine on? Okay, I'm going to justify this by saying maybe the phone lines weren't cut out. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. That's fair. But that's true. Because it does go through the phone line. Stupid. But stupid. You, isn't the pool light on? Oh, no. And also for a fax machine, you have to plug it in in order to use it. So now. Yeah. I mean, it's not, is it battery operated? All you need <laughs> is nine double D batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Not double D batteries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, every gay man's mind is always on breasts. Uh, yeah, boobs. Mm. Oh my god! Ghostface explodes Jennifer's house, and he um, explodes Tom. And, and, it, and I almost felt like watching this early on. I was like, "Was the bomb inside Tom?" <laughs> There's no bomb. No, I know, I know. But I'm like, first of all, no one was sm- there a bomb. No one smelled the gas, but it looks like there was a bomb inside of Tom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the explosion comes from his chest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who did this? And he's holding the lighter down by his thigh, and but his chest explodes, and therefore the entire house <laughs> explodes, which I. I don't think... I'm like, wow, how long has this gas been leaking? Yeah, shit. And nobody knows. Nobody passed out. Like, how did he pull this off? How did Roman pull this off? Going back a little bit, there's this conversation that Gail is overhearing between Jennifer and Dewey. And <laughs> there's, and as she's walking up, the conversation is already happening, but it's muffled. And all you hear is Jennifer saying, she's a narcissistic psycho bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Gail introduces this idea to Dewey that the killer is leaving behind pictures of Maureen, which she already knows. But as soon as he sees this picture, he's like, wait a minute. I, I recognize that. It's the back lot to Sunrise Studios. This is yeah. indicative of how ridiculous this movie is. <laughs> also, those like horribly photoshopped cut and paste pictures. Yeah. Of oh. a fucking of Parker Posey in front of that background. It's like, okay, this is getting a little Scooby-Doo-ish. <laughs> yeah, literally. This whole movie is for sure Scooby-Doo. Yeah, and if you go to, uh, if you listen to Horror Queers, uh, episode on this, they definitely break down how many things in this movie are full on Scooby Doo. I've never listened to their podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but go check it out. It's a great episode. Um, we just get like more crazy, campy moments. We have a moment where Jennifer punches Dewey in the face, and finally, finally, after two movies, Gail gets to punch somebody else in the face for once. My lawyer liked that. <laughs> <laughs> she wins. She actually like had the KO punch with that line for sure. <laughs> right. Sticks and stones, but words. Yeah. Oh wait, no, yeah. that's not true. Uh, opposite, <laughs> opposite, opposite. The pen is mightier opposite. than the sword. <laughs> yes, there we go. There we go. 
And that, and now the killer's taking responsibility for Maureen Prescott's murder. Emily Mortimer holding her, I, I don't know how she does it, but she puts her elbows together behind her back. <laughs> what? Have you ever noticed that when she walks up after this whole chaos has happened and she comes and her arms look like they're missing she's like walking oh, yeah, they up do. and they i'm do like, look like they're missing why are her arms she's like touching her elbows <laughs> together behind her back top of the house or like whatever anyway all right let's keep going back at the police precinct kincaid demands to know sydney's whereabouts from dewey but he insists he doesn't know where she is as dewey attempts to call her sydney surprisingly shows up at the station she's unable to answer any questions about her murder her murder her murder her own murder because she's she's dead <laughs> um okay <laughs> she's unable to answer any questions about her mother at this age and requests to see the places in the picture now on the sunrise studios back lot sydney dewey and gail are surprised to find martha meeks played by heather Matarazzo, the younger sister of randy meeks she reveals she has a VHS tape which shows Randy addressing the trio about the rules of surviving a trilogy. Trilogy. Number one, you have a killer that's superhuman. Stabbing him won't work. Shooting him won't work. Anyone, including the main character, can die. Randy refers to Sydney as such. Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever he thought you knew wasn't true. I like how he thinks that Sydney's the main character. Clearly, he didn't know what Screen 3 was going to be about. Oh, my God, I know. He didn't realize her schedule on Party 5. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gail splits off following a lead in the archive rooms. Unable to get past the security system, she is rescued by Jennifer, who vows to stay close to Gail so she will be killed instead. In the basement of the archives, they bribe the front desk worker, Bianca, in a cameo by Carrie Fisher, into taking them into the archives. Bianca's photographic memory pinpoints Maureen, but as her stage name, Rena Reynolds. She was a bit player in several horror movies produced by John Milton. The girls are shocked to learn this. In the restroom, Sydney encounters Angelina Tyler, the young actress playing her in the movie. Angelina has a ghost face mask in her hand, but claims she was just taking some souvenirs from the film. She tells Sydney she wanted to make her proud. When Angelina leaves behind a hairbrush, Sydney follows her onto the set of Stab 3, a true-to-life version of her teenage home and the home of Stu Mocker, where the climax of the original film took place. Sydney walks the set and recalls tragic moments from her past. However, she's attacked by Ghostface and is chased all through the set. When she is frightened by Ghostface imitating her dead mother, Sydney falls out of the second story window. Just then, Dewey and the police come to her rescue. Okay, <laughs> so a lot is going on. I mean, you thought that that explosion was the climax of this movie. You thought wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's like Sydney comes in. She's like out of seclusion. And she's like, now she just wants to go everywhere. And now she's like, take me to the um, Sunrise Studios. Like, no, girl, what? Take me to another place. Take me to another place. Take me to another place. A horseshoe. <laughs> All of a sudden... Randy's sister pops out of one of the trailers. What is she doing there? And she has this like cool cyber 2000s look about her. So maybe she's being an extra in a movie. Oh my God. I mean, or maybe she's like, does she work on set? Is she a PA? Is, is she, she too a, a technical advisor? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. My brother was murdered. <laughs> 
I honestly, I love Heather Matarazzo. If you've ever seen Welcome to the Dollhouse, I mean, like, she's an icon. She is the moment. She's rumored to be back in Scream 5, which I'm like, yes. that is hilarious. We have some Meeks in there um, as part of the new fresh young cast, and they will be her kids. Yes. Martha Meeks and Brenda Meeks. <laughs> right. Yeah. What if she's the new uh, Maureen? Who knows? Oh, my God. Do you think she's going to be the opening kill? <gasps> Can you imagine? Um, so she reveals this VHS tape because they just had to find a way to bring back Jamie Kennedy as Randy. Like, just yeah. had to. Oh my God. I mean, because thank. I mean, this is the route they took. They were originally att- intending on having him have survived his wounds and they were just hiding him so the killer wouldn't finish the job in the second one. That was their idea to bring <laughs> Jamie Kennedy back as Randy. So basically what, and what you're like, saying is that this movie could have been worse than it already is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's basically, already yes. unbelievable that they keep bringing Dewey back. Like, just like Kevin Williamson said, Sydney is not screen. Well, if she's not, Dewey's not. So just uh, get rid of him. It's so silly. Like, the fact that they're having, like, a back and forth conversation with the VHS tape like so then Gail decides to go do her own investigation which leads to more Jennifer think of the yeah little buddy it's like a buddy cop film it's like two opposites yeah um you know I like I want to see them have like a, a fun sort of half hour sitcom oh my god can you oh my god Gail and Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? It'd be so fucking funny. That would be amazing. Amazing. And then they come face to face and they have some more bitchy dialogue with Carrie Fisher as Bianca. Yes, who apparently just like wrote her own character. Like they're like, I guess uh, Bob Weinstein suggested uh, her for the part. And they like sort of just let her create her own character. So I think she kind of wrote. <laughs> I again, there were so many people that had their hands in writing this movie, but right. I'm pretty sure that Carrie Fisher wrote this little role for herself, which is hysterical. Oh my god! She and fully it's... she fully pokes fun at herself. Yeah, she's and, like, uh, yeah, no, I could have. I was up for the role of Princess Leia, but who gets it? The one that sleeps with um, George Lucas. Girl, I was gonna say John Milton. <laughs> Oh my God, John Milton. I'm just so invested in this story. Uh, (laughs) So Bianca remembers Maureen Reynolds, or she's like Maureen Roberts, as uh, Rena Reynolds, who was Uh, a bit... Stage name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You should talk, Judy (laughs) Jergenstern. That's my favorite line in the entire movie. And just Park Posey's reaction. (laughs) Yeah, she's like... Even when they're bribing um, Bianca to take them into the archives... (sighs) So good. So good. $50. What are you reporting for Woodsboro High? <laughs> Here. It's worth two grand. Now, are you going to help Gail Weathers or not? Rena, <laughs> so Rena Reynolds, come to find out she's been in several um, productions at Sunrise Studios. And yeah. um, hold on. I, I listed them here in my notes. Okay. So Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, right. Space Psycho. Creature from the San Andreas Fault. And in... <laughs> A theater credit, she was also in a project called I Want to Scream. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a career. I mean, honestly, how crazy is it that Maureen was in horror movies? I mean, who'd have thunk? (laughs) Who'd have thunk? And why has nobody ever seen them? I mean, they don't sound like blockbusters and the zombies. You know, this gets me thinking. How the fuck do you not know your mom? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like, no, that's true. I mean, this is, this is a whole past that she's had. So what did she just move to Woodsboro and just started her life over and was like, like, where did she say she came from? It sounds like she, to me, I, I always thought she like lived in Woodsboro, disappeared for a few years and then came back to Woodsboro. Is that not it? Oh, yes. Yeah. She was born in Woodsboro, left and then came back. But like, it's like, what? Nobody, like, nobody wondered I mean, where she was. It, I mean, I guess it is super mysterious of her to do that. Like, I don't know. I'm. It's kind of cool to me that she did that. Yeah. But it is ridiculous. Like, how did nobody know what she did or where she went? Right. And not only that, but like, uh, she went and she did all of this. Like, once we found out what happened to her in Hollywood, it's like, damn, girl, you went through it. And then she came back and started yeah. sleeping with everyone's man. <laughs> It's like damn trauma trauma is 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 complicated essentially uh they were right in the first film when they were like she was flashing her shit all around town thinking she was sharon stone because <laughs> she was yeah. she was she was i mean i don't think she to me she was a apparently she was a bit player so she was just uh, you know she was so like she was probably just one probably amazon be number the amazon she's amazon be number four yeah yeah she was creature number three <laughs> yeah she was <laughs> She wasn't the creature from the San Andreas Fault. She was just a creature from oh, the San right, Andreas right, Fault. Oh, right, 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 And she was just right, in the right, background yeah. of the spaceship during Space Psycho. <laughs> yeah, she played the space. And in I Want to Scream, she wanted to, but she never did. Okay, then we're now we're in the territory of what I think is probably the strongest moment. I think the moment that takes itself the most seriously you know in this movie which is mm-hmm. sydney reliving her past starting with the bathroom and she runs into angelina tyler it's very reminiscent of scream one yeah like the there's a lot of bathroom meetings in these in these uh movies and yeah and i think it's a i i god i kind of wish that they would have sort of fleshed out this whole angelina story because it does seem to be kind of leading somewhere really interesting especially like they do hint like she has the same kind of boots as Ghostface on under her skirt and she's stealing the the mask but is she just <laughs> is she actually just holding the mask I don't know like yeah and it's sort of interesting like this like person who wants to be who's like playing Sydney but is actually conspiring against Sydney for whatever reason I don't know I think that would have been really interesting what if she's her sister <laughs> oh my what god if, what if she's roman's twin what if they were twins <laughs> oh <laughs> oh my god but also lovers like that would be the soap <laughs> opera <laughs> when she denied us we had nobody but each other if you know what i mean <laughs> and then they kiss <laughs> <laughs> and then sydney just kills herself and she's yeah. like fuck me i gotta get out of here yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no way to escape <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, my life the is original so ending. <laughs> Angelina's making up all these stupid ass fucking uh, things. Like, oh, oh uh, um, I, I I thought I would just take some souvenirs, and I like how Sydney's holding the ghost face mask, and she's like souvenirs, yeah. souvenirs. Like, bitch, do you even know she's who like, you're playing? Insensitive. I, <laughs> another thing I wrote in my notes <laughs> was the quote that Angelina says, where she says, "I wanted to make you proud," and <laughs> I'm like. Sydney should have said, bitch, you think I'm going to watch Stab 3? (laughs) (laughs) You think I watch these movies? You idiot. What's wrong with you? I love her response. I'm sure I would have (laughs) been. Yeah, I'm sure I would have been. Do you want an autograph or something? (laughs) I would have just sprayed her with my mace at that point. (laughs) 
Yeah, she had the hand, the finger on the trigger. She might as well just yeah, for it. I wanted to make you proud. <laughs> Angelina screaming. Oh my god! She crawls out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Take that as a souvenir, bitch. She's, she's, she dunks her head in the toilet <laughs> to get it out of her eyes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is so stupid. I'm crying. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That is oh so funny. <laughs> Ooh, okay. But on a serious note, uh, Angelina takes off she doesn't get mazed she ends up running off and Sydney <laughs> yeah. follows her onto the set of Stab 3 which I think this is just the best moment it's the reintroduction of the Sydney's Lament track of Marco Beltrami's score which I always love <laughs> yeah it's really beautiful yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is really exciting to see like these sets from oh the original film it really does bring it all back to the beginning which is what trilogies are supposed to do and apparently this wasn't even in the script but this is a whole thing that Wes Craven cooked up well this took a lot of money for something that wasn't in their script right and they said I don't know if they said he paid for it I don't know if Whoa. my source aka Wikipedia um, <laughs> was like <laughs> my source who I won't reveal <laughs> my, my source <laughs> it was like he paid for it I don't know if he paid for it but somebody paid for it well, yeah, probably the budget. Kudos to, to uh, them. Recreate the, these sets. The recreation of these sets was immaculate. Like they did such a great job. And even in the pictures that we've seen of Scream Five of the Mocker House, I mean, it looks just like the house. I mean, I'm surprised they just don't go back and film there. Like, come on. I know. Nothing says Woodsboro like Healdsburg, California. Like, let's be real. Scream 4, that is not Woodsboro. And in Scream 5, I'm sure I'll say the same thing. It's just not Woodsboro. So, but this, this looks so good. Just go back to Healdsburg. Why wouldn't they go back? Maybe it's too expensive. I I think it's too expensive to film up here. But, I mean, come on. That wine country with uh, Kristen. uh, No, no, no. Not Kristen Wiig. Was she in that? No, no, no. Um, Person wig? Yeah. Ma- oh, no. Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph. Yes, yeah, yeah. They filmed here for that stupid-ass movie, Wine Country, so I'm sure that they can yeah, they- put together a couple come bucks on. to come back. But whatever. Oh, well. Um, oh, well. Uh, but this looks great. I think the, the Prescott house looks great. The Mocker house looks great. And we get to see some cool set pieces, like Sydney's room, which looks a little similar, and the garage yeah. with the blood on it. So Except there's a Creed poster instead of an Indigo Girls <laughs> right? Yeah, I always clock that. I'm like, look, Creed. What if I told a lie? <laughs> and, then she, and then out of all the things that they said in the scene where she's in her bedroom in Scream 1, the one that she remembers is, would you settle for a PG-13 relationship? <laughs> Oh, and, and, and it starts, because, you know, it's echoing sort of ominously in the background. And it starts with, ooh, close call. <laughs> <laughs> we have to remember that this year, 2000, was also the year that Scary Movie came out. So it just didn't hit, it just didn't hit the same, that dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> it was forever tainted in the audience yeah. minds. <laughs> yeah. 
Ooh, Ooh sitting in that nightgown. <laughs> so she's reliving these moments and it's it's sad. And then she gets attacked by Ghostface, which leads her to Maureen Prescott's room, which I think as a Scream fan is really exciting to see because as horrifying as this murder would be, it's like a set piece we've never seen. It's like this, you know, unlocking part of the mystery that is Scream. To see that constructed is... Um, is it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. It looks it's a big bloody scene, but then as cool as it is, and then it leads to again one of these dumb moments, like ruined by like whose idea was this to have a fucking ghost face put on a on a bloody sheet as like again like a ghost, and it's like, Ooh, I'm your mother, Sydney, and for I some know. reason Sydney doesn't just I don't know tackle this ghost she gets scared and she, she gets roped in to this yeah. trauma she well, like believes it um <laughs> and our our insta friend x99 fear street um said the sheet scene with sid's mom in quote quotation uh was so fucking weird and creepy but also funny <laughs> <laughs> it is funny but it's like why does she but she's like no she like freaks out and falls out the window because she's so scared by it. But I guess I guess it's like triggering, but it's also like, bitch, that's obviously not your mom. That's Do you ever feel that Roman is having like this Norman Bates sort of thing? Because he's oh, like I mean, maybe. constantly like playing Maureen's voice. And he's like, come here and give mommy a hug. Oh my God. Can you imagine <laughs> if that's what happened at the end? He, unbe- he, oh my God. I just had a brilliant idea. He should have, unmasked himself and we've been like oh my god it's roman but he's like it's me sydney your mother <gasps> a total norman bates that would have been oh. kind of iconic that could have that would have been crazy that could have worked that could have worked uh, uh especially especially like in the finale when when she, when he's playing those home videos and he's like Ooh, i was so pretty yeah they should have full-on <laughs> kept him as his as Maureen. As Maureen, Maureen should have been the killer. <gasps> oh, oh wow. my god! Wow, you guys, should we just finish this up? Because yeah. So, <laughs> what's the point of now that we've come up with that brilliant ending? Thanks to you, Jake. I yeah. think that it, I think we're done here. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think our I, job I is can't done. even bear to read the, the ending that we got. Yeah, honestly, um, so <laughs> why don't we keep going? <laughs> Dewey, Gale, and Jennifer pay a trip to John Milton and make him confess to knowing Maureen Prescott, except as Rena Reynolds. John Milton implies that Rena may have been taken advantage of by men at Hollywood parties, but she knew what she was getting into. At the station, Sydney connects with Kincaid, and they bond over a mutual life full of death. Gail, Dewey, and Jennifer get a call from Sydney, who tells them she'll be at Roman's birthday party celebration at John Milton's mansion. So they head there. At the party already is Angelina, Tyson, and Roman, who claim Sydney was never invited. They all decide to split up and look around the old Hollywood mansion in an attempt to find John Milton's secret screening room. Meanwhile, Gail and Dewey find the killer's costume and voice changer in the closet, alerting them that the killer is in the house. Gail finds Jennifer in the basement, and they discover Roman's dead body in a prop coffin. As they run to find Dewey, they run into Angelina and warn her. However, she panics and reveals that she slept with John Milton to get the role of Sydney. As she attempts to flee, she runs into Ghostface, who stabs and kills her. Ghostface then attacks Dewey, Gail, Jennifer, and Tyson, who gets stabbed and attempts to flee. Ghostface pulls the rug out from under him and then tosses him off the second-story balcony to his death. 
Jennifer is then chased through a secret passage where she ends up behind a set of two-way mirrors. As she bangs on the window trying to alert Dewey and Gale on the other side, she is stabbed to death while claiming she is the killer in Stab 3. Gale is then grabbed from behind and her and Ghostface tumble down the basement stairs. With Ghostface unconscious, Gale quietly calls Dewey on his cell phone to come to save her, but he's apprehensive after discovering the voice-changing device. When Ghostface awakens to attack Gale, Dewey opens the door to shoot, but there are no bullets. Ghostface launches his knife at Dewey, hitting him in the head with the butt of the knife and causing him to fall down the stairs. Gale and Dewey are caught. Oh my god, that is ridiculous cinematography there. Okay, so with this first scene we have is uh, them paying a trip to John Milton. And this has, again... Hey, Dew, Dew. <laughs> god, just everything that Parker Posey does with this movie is just brilliant. She's like, she's like really in the character of like playing some sort of investigative reporter, and she's just so hilarious, like trying to keep up with Gail, who's like authentically an investigative reporter, and she's like playing one. It's just so funny. You have made millions off the story of her murder. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter. <laughs> All right, cool, Geraldo. (laughs) This is when it gets, like, really dark. I mean, they're sort of explaining Maureen's backstory that she was possibly, like, gang-raped at a Hollywood party. She was, like, a victim of the casting couch, which is, like, okay, that's, like, a a commentary on Hollywood. This commentary is more relevant now than it was in 2000. Honestly, seriously, especially considering uh, the Weinsteins were the one producing this movie, and that is literally the story of their life. So. Yeah, it, it's crazy because Bob Weinstein sat there and watched these dailies on the daily yeah. <laughs> and uh, was, you know, never said, hey, don't do that or anything like that. Because it's no. honestly, the, you know, the truth. The seedy, dark underbelly of Hollywood. And yeah, um, yeah it's it's unfortunate that anybody's had to go through that. But thank God, you know, we had heroes like... Tatum O'Reilly, you know, Rose McGowan leading the Me Too movement. And it it only makes you think about what her experience was like on this film or, you know, in this franchise with the wine scenes overseeing it. Like, it it just always gives me, like, a a dark feeling that... Goosebumps. Because even, like, um, when when you think about it, and I think we talked about this in Scream, like, Rose McGowan being on the set um, of Scream, and then after Scream was her attack by Harvey Weinstein, I believe. She wrote in her book Brave that Scream was her the, the happiest she ever was filming a movie, and that was the last time she was ever happy filming a movie. Wow. And I'm like, that's Aww. really sad. And so because, sad. Because Harvey Weinstein basically went for her after Scream. It's awful, but the, and then that's what happens in Scream 3. So it's like, it's directly related to the actual experience of some of the actors that were in these movies it's crazy and fucked up for sure and so um after that we get to this party and this is like all of a sudden the movie <laughs> just decides to kill all of our characters in oh wait one... wait wait the, the oh, station sydney Sid- and K- uh, kincaid they're kind of having this oh, flirtatious yeah. back and forth thing i know um, i'm like why why do they decide to like lightweight try to give sydney a romantic interest like no leave her be no we're done we're done with sydney trying to date 
this isn't about her anyway, but you know, it's like, but I do think that one of the best lines from this section, even though it's a little cheap, she goes, Hey, Kincaid, what's your favorite scary movie? My life. She goes, oh, my, God. My, mine too. <laughs> oh my God. I think it's so stupid. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> oh my God. So like you said, this party, yeah, we're just off in them one by one. Yeah, we have like... They're like, hmm, all right, we have all these characters that we have not really seen in a long time. Let's just kill them all at once. Yeah, might as well. And so, so yeah, so we run down the line. We get Angelina. Boom, done. And a shocking moment reveals that she actually did sleep with John Milton for the part of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to, like, vilify her in a way? I uh, mean, she de- Yeah, like, weird. she deserves to die. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did not fuck that fake Milton to die here with second-rate celebrities like you two. You two! And then, and then she runs off, and then she's like, you guys should really get out, too. It's crazy yeah. to still be here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to be really insulting to you, and then I'm going to care about you. She's like a Sour Patch kid. <laughs> yeah, she, and then she gets it, and we don't even know how. You can't even see it. I'm like, assuming she gets stabbed, but it looks like he just sort of hugs her. She's yeah. Like, <laughs> why and also why is ghostface dragging her away what is he doing with her body he's <laughs> yeah. never dragged anybody else's body away <laughs> he's not like placing them anywhere he's, he's all like, move oh. move i need to get on stairs <laughs> yeah. yeah literally <laughs> so then uh then we have oh the the discovery of roman which is the biggest fucking fuck you to the audience i can even think of i it's like don't get it's it like, like are you it's, kidding me it's one thing to open it and see him dead and just like ah and slam it but she checks his pulse she checks his fucking pulse and he's dead <laughs> like he oh my like i can't did you does he know how to stop his heart yeah exactly. or does gail not know what she's doing i mean maybe she was not she didn't know what she was doing but i think you can tell if somebody's dead or not when you check their pulse also, how did Jennifer not see any of this happen? She's literally next to the body. To get in the co- he had to take that thing, that like weird skeleton out of the coffin, get in the coffin, put that makeup all over himself, have the fake knife in him. Like, Mm-mm. what the I'm fuck? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Not buying it. Yeah, that, that is so bad. Like, Tyson gets it. Again, uh, just so silly. Weird sound effects that like, oh. when they pull pulls a rug out from it. <laughs> Boing! But honestly, kudos to that stunt double because that shit looked like it hurt. Painful. He landed right on his shoulder. Yeah. I was like, shit. Yikes. Stuntmen are not appreciated enough. Mm -mm. And you can clearly see the stuntman when he's being smashed into the the glass on the wall. I know. Who's that? I like (laughs) Tyson has this thing too where he talks about kind of being the token black character. But then that's exactly what he ends up being in this movie. He becomes. I know, but I know he's not even he's not even at the cast party which always <laughs> yeah. bothers me i'm like why is tyson not at the cast party yeah that, where was he like you could have made that role bit like he has this whole thing this whole commentary about black actors in movies and then you don't put him in the movie he's in two scenes they they mistreated that character especially with the commentary they gave him I'm like wow and then uh, then we have jennifer her murder again you know classic she she winds up in this like you know, this is kind of fun that this, like, house is, like, such a labyrinth with all these uh, passages. But, by the way, do you know what house this is? Is this the Rock of Love uh, Charm Squad? <laughs> or yes, the, the it Charm is. Squad's mirror? Yeah, it is, right? Yes. Oh, but they covered yes. the pool. They, uh, oh, no, no, no sorry. They? 
The no, no, no. You know what? This is also the school in Halloween H2O, is it not? But in that movie, they cover the pool. Which also means that this is the house from the reality TV co- show competition, Scream Queens. Oh, yeah. And this one, I've seen this one. On, it was on a, in a show called uh, Rockstar Supernova. It was the house. Like, I see this house all the fucking all the time. time. All the time. Jennifer. She gets it. She gets stabbed pretty And pretty honestly, easily. what a travesty of a death scene. Like, first of all, killing her off in general. But then to do it so cheaply. Like, she's behind some mirrors. No one's noticing her. And then Ghostface is an actual ghost. He disappears he, fully. Oh, he's like yeah. Stabbing he, he was, her as Dewey's shooting the. I, and this, I'm sure this was an editing issue. He's stabbing her as Dewey is shooting down the mirrors. And then finally he gets to the end and it's just Jennifer after she was just being stabbed. <laughs> I love everything that she's saying as the killer's approaching her. Where she's like, You're not real. I'm not scared of you. You can't kill me. I'm the killer in Stab 3. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least she's like. Trying. She's at least going along with that plot point that died of, um, yeah. you know, the killing them in the order of the script. I'm going to improv this scene. And since we freaking forgot that, you know, I had this yeah. big scene about being killed in the order of the script. I'm just going to bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. She was doing her due diligence as an actress. <laughs> I like when she says, you're not real. You're not real. <laughs> like she's like, it's a uh, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then, um, then we have some more kind of weird moments like Gail when she's pulled down the stairs and then, you know, Dewey comes in and Ghostface throws that knife and it's all, and like hits him oh. in the head and he's all, oh, dump, dump, dump. And he like falls down the stairs. It's so goofy. And like, have you ever seen the outtakes of this scene? Uh, yes, I have. Horrible. I don't remember him. I, Horrible. Yeah. Just so silly just so dumb this is so dumb yeah and then he captures them and i'm like why does he capture them what is the point of that why didn't he just kill both of them right there he has their voices in the voice machine oh oh i see what you're saying like why not just why kill why tie them up when you can just kill them because for some reason people think that the audience don't want to see the main characters die like yeah we do trust me we do yeah all right let's finish this out okay at the station, Sydney gets a call from Ghostface, who lures Sydney to the house using Gail Dewey and the truth about her mother. Sydney grabs a gun from Kincaid's desk and heads out. When she arrives, Ghostface calls and tells her to scan her body with a metal detector, exposing the gun which she tosses in the pool. Inside, she finds Dewey and Gail tied to chairs and attempts to free them. When Ghostface attacks from behind, Sydney pulls out a hidden gun and shoots Ghostface several times in the chest. However, he escapes. Okay, wait a minute. Sydney, by now, you should know. Don't yeah. shoot them in the chest. Shoot them in the fucking head. Yeah, hello. Scream three. I'm not buying <laughs> it. Uh, Kincaid appears and has a standoff with Sydney, who does not trust him. However, Ghostface attacks again, stabbing Kincaid in the shoulder. Ghostface chases Sydney through the house, leading her toward the hidden passage to the secret screening room. Inside the room, the voice of her mother draws her in revealing never-before-seen footage of her mother playing on the screen. Ghostface locks her in the room and claims that his mother is also Maureen Prescott, a.k.a. Rena Reynolds, who disowned him when he attempted to find her years later. Ghostface reveals himself to be none other than Stab 3 director Roman Bridger, who had been wearing a bulletproof vest and a prosthetic arm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's what it was. 
What? With all those props down there, his, uh, the, the pulse check was probably a prosthetic arm. <laughs> Here's this like rubber hand. <laughs> you think she was checking the pulse on a rubber hand? I mean, maybe. Honestly, I don't know. It has to be. Well, we, ha- we have to believe it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Roman proceeded to stalk Maureen, filming her various indiscretions involving Cotton Weary and Billy Loomis's father. Hank Loomis. <laughs> Played by... No, I'm just kidding. Who cares? Um, <laughs> Roman takes responsibility for motivating Billy Loomis for the initial killing spree by showing him the footage of Maureen and his father. Roman wants revenge on Sydney for being the only child Maureen claimed. Roman reveals that he has kidnapped John Milton, who he claims hosted the parties that led to Maureen's sexual assault that resulted in Roman's birth. Roman slits his throat, planning on framing Sydney using the voice changer to leave an incriminating voicemail. Sydney taunts Roman, causing him to attack her, resulting in a knockout fight between the siblings. Meanwhile, Dewey and Gail attempt to break into the room, even causing a power outage. Roman bests Sydney and knocks Kincaid unconscious, who enter the room. Roman then shoots Sydney several times in the chest. However, Sydney is able to grab an ice pick and surprise Roman, stabbing him several times in the back. Sydney reveals she is also wearing a bulletproof vest. Sydney then stabs him in the chest. When Dewey and Gale enter the room, Roman jumps up one last time. Dewey continues to shoot him in the chest, but Sydney commands him to shoot Roman in the head. He does, putting an end to the madness. At Sydney's home, Dewey proposes to Gale. Finally, feeling a sense of freedom, Sydney is no longer scared to keep her doors unlocked. She actually keeps them open. She said, I don't care about flies either. Yeah. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how the movie ends. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is our big finale. Uh, Honestly, Scott Foley and Neff Campbell could pass for siblings. I'll believe it. You think so? They should have hired her actual brother, Christian. He's sexy. Is he? Well, he he was. He was hot in in, uh, that film version of Reefer Madness. Have you seen that? No. I don't even know she had a brother. Really? Oh my gosh. What's his name? Christian Campbell? Yeah, Christian Campbell. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, he is kind of handsome. He's like kind of hot. Oh. He's probably not as cute They look like twins. Yeah. And um, you ever seen Reefer Madness? Um, the musical? No. It's so funny. It's re- I think you would like it. It's really fucking funny. And, really? Um, okay. Really yeah. Funny. Yeah. And Nev's in it. She she oh. sings and dan- she sings and dances in it. Ah, Cassandra. She like <laughs> ca- she yeah Cassandra. <laughs> no, she, she like speaks sings in it. She's like, come on down to the five and dime band. Like that's how she like sings in it. She's, but she has a whole dance sequence where she like tangos and. I'm like, come on, Ooh, Nev, you better use she's that, a dancer. that she's dance a dancer. background. But her brother is actually, like, really talented and um, is, like, the lead of the movie. Oh, my God. They're theater kids. They're in Literally. Theater. Yeah, honestly. The big reveal of Roman as uh, the killer. What, so what do you think about this? This is a, I, a huge, this is a huge dark spot on the Scream franchise. There are certain things that I like and don't like. I do kind of like that it's her brother. I don't like that it takes away from Billy Loomis in a way. Because it almost seems like Billy, who seems like a stronger killer overall, not as like physically, but just 
sure. in writing. More sure, in theory. more fleshed out. Yeah. More fleshed out and just darker and scarier than Roman. Um he's almost downplayed by this explanation. Like he's like, You're you know, Billy was was fine and then yeah. I came and I showed him footage of his dad sleeping with your our mom and I don't know, and then brainwashed him to commit murder? Yeah, it, it, yeah, no. It, it it makes it makes Billy Loomis seem like more of a la- like a lackey or a henchman or a pansy ass mama's boy. Yeah, than actually being like the scary figure that we remember him as. I mean, I guess it's okay that it, that he's her brother, but honestly, he just sort of comes across as like whiny. You know, yeah. he doesn't really come across as as sinister or crazy. He just comes across he's as whiny. Weak. He's weak. And Sydney, they make it seem like Sydney, they have like this instant bond where she knows how to maybe crawl under his skin. But it's just not that. It's just that he's weak. He's a weak person. And she's like, you're crying. So um, she could, she basically could have said, mommy loved me more. And that would have been fine. <laughs> that would have been the same thing <laughs> as what we got. <laughs> yeah, literally. And like, yeah, his like motive was just like revenge on Sydney because their mom picked Sydney over him like that that means you have to murder all these people like I don't mind this as a wrap up this 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 part of it Scream 3 as a whole has a lot of problems it's my least favorite well no that's not true I actually rated this I think above Scream 4 because in Scream 4 when it's you know Jill it just kind kind of feels like the same thing like it's like Okay, like, we already did the family thing. Oh, yeah, they stick with the family, but at least they eliminate the mother aspect, which would have been like, okay, Jesus Christ, forget it. (laughs) Even my own mother had to die. No great loss there. Oh, my God, I know that line. It seems convoluted. I don't know, it just seems so out of left field, and I just, yeah, I don't like what it, I don't like how it tarnishes the legacy of, like, the original. But given that this was uh, um, the finale of a supposed trilogy at the time, how else could it have ended? You know, do you ever think about that? Like if they did, if it wasn't Roman, well, who could it have been? Right. I mean, so the original concept of Kevin Williamson's script was that all of, no, that it was all of them in was every person who's died in the movie were actually part of some sort of, uh, cult, <laughs> a stab fan club. Kind of. Yeah. And that they were all going to stand up from their deaths and be like, it was all of us. I, I don't know if they were gonna if their plan was to kill Sydney or what, but they were, or if it was all a joke, maybe something like April Fool's Day, kind of like we got you, or I don't know, like that was the plan was that they were all gonna stand up in the end and be, and be like we all did it. That would have been so confusing. I know, which ended up actually being uh, loosely translated into Kevin Williamson's uh, TV show The Following that came out. They used that that plot point and they, they moved it to that movie. And they also did the same thing with the Sumacher version. Oh, okay. So that's what I was saying. Th- I'm like, what about the Stu Mocker version where Stu has been alive and in prison and from prison he orchestrates this cult of killers that end up going after Sydney who has returned to Woodsboro. Which I thought was always. I've never heard this one. I've really? Okay. Well, let me let me that let sounds... me read. Let me let me read it. Let me see. That sounds horrible. In a 2013 interview, Williamson further detailed his original script, which would have seen the killers be a stab fan club of Woodsboro kids. All the members of the club would have been involved in the killings, and the final twist of the movie was when Sydney walked into the house after Ghostface had killed everyone, and they all rose up. None of them were actually dead, and they planned the whole thing. What does that even mean? I don't know, but I, 
I've heard some early buzzes about what Scream 5 is about, and I really hope that's not the plot. <laughs> oh my god, is that is that close to what you've heard? Well, uh, there have been so many false rumors that have been getting shot down online, but one of them was that there are five killers. Oh, Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, I, uh, but then in my head, I was like, well, that kind of sounds like the original Scream 3 script, <laughs> which, uh... So I don't think I don't think it's true, but um, that would have been a mess. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Stupid! What a joke! Um, but I mean, apparently it was adapted into the following, which I've seen a little bit. I've seen the first like a few episodes of the following, and so I guess that's what it was. It was like a cult sort of murder situation. Unfortunately, this is the ending that we that we got, and it sort of put a damper on the Scream franchise. Like nobody really remembers this too much. Like I don't think when you think of Scream, you think you think. Oh, but it was all Roman all along. Like you still think of it as like Billy Loomis, and, you know that that stands the test of time as opposed to this, which uh, does not. So I mean that pretty much concludes it. I mean we have a huge, they have a huge knockout fucking fight, which is really brutal. I guess they had to extend it because I guess Sydney kicked his ass too easily, and they're like, that's not scary. For some reason, <laughs> they really wanted Ghostface originally to be a fucking loser who can't defend himself because cotton was originally supposed to beat his ass Sydney. but then they like reshot it to where um ghostface was a little more or roman i guess was a little more of a of a challenge for her to defeat so they extended the fight sequence and it's pretty knockout like she she gets as good as she wait she gives as good as she gets yeah yeah totally yeah this is almost like one of the first times that you were like you're like oh my god sydney's gonna die yeah exactly because that's the thing they wanted to make it seem like sydney's not actually gonna make it just like the rules suggest that she could possibly um not live but i mean at the same time it's like why not i think the imagery that also happens in scream 4 when she grabs his hand as he's dying i think is a really strong moment um, mm. considering, you know, she just found out she had a brother and then she had to kill him. You know, it's like crazy. I guess in the context of the story, it is nice. But I mean, you know, the story still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your final thoughts? So my final thoughts are, I'll always have a nostalgic place in my heart for this movie. I think that the comedy does work on a level to me, mostly from specific performances. There are parts of it that I like, but I understand the criticism and it just feels different than all the rest. It doesn't feel like it really belongs. It feels like a different movie. And, you know, that comes from the the lack of um, involvement of Kevin Williamson and who was... Oh, the lack of respect. <laughs> right, yeah, and a goddamn lack of respect. No. I, I love it. I'm going to give it a... I'll give it a three and a half out of five it's still of course in my favorite franchise ever i still love it but i'm very aware of the criticism that it obtained and honestly it's valid like it has its problems but i still enjoy it a lot i feel like the characters just aren't true to their roots like we were talking about before um sid seems about right but like gail is watered down dewey would not be on the set of stab three jennifer's a great character but because of but she's great for this movie. If it were a different movie, I don't. I think she would be yeah. out of place um, in any of the other movies that are part of this franchise. 
Um, the yeah. writing is weak. The storyline is ridiculous. I think Roman's <laughs> backstory is uh, is decent. I think it could have maybe blended into the legacy a bit better. Um, but I think it's a great motive and a good backstory, and it brings it does really bring it full circle. Um, but the I just wish the plot was better. Yeah, I agree. But three and a half out of five. Yeah, three and a half out of five, and that's generous, mostly just because I love this franchise, <laughs> and I lo- and I do love this movie, and I and I can quote it up and down. So if you couldn't tell, we are building up the anticipation to Scream Five coming in January. Yeah. So Scream Three, Scream Four will premiere sometime this season. Who knows when? Yeah. And and then um, and then we'll definitely be doing Scream Five, whether whether or not Fear the Chalky Cruise continues beyond. That. It might be our series finale. You never know. Maybe this oh is the concluding chapter is- of a trilogy. Trilogy. All right, so that concludes our episode on Scream Three. Yes, uh, what a return it was! Oh my the return god, return to Woodsboro. We're back, bitches! Like I'm so excited that we got to do this. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it and for us to uh, be back in the game. We're gonna be with you every Friday. Yes, and next Friday, join us for. A a new kind of movie for us, I feel, The Edge of Tomorrow. Yes, and a a science fiction action film. Whoa, left field for you. Left field, left field. I was like, wait, I have, I've never seen the movie, so I'm excited. Yes, it, the, the movie's great. So make sure you watch Edge of Tomorrow before next week, and um, get ready to be blasted into outer space. All right, yeah. Make sure you check us out on social media. We are Fear the Talking Queers. We are at Fear the Talking Queers on Instagram. Visit our website www.fearthetalkingqueers.com. And uh, what else? Now turn on the news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Say it with me. Sweet, Sweet screams, bitch. Bye. bye.